It's, it's the Son and the Spirit. So let's look at the Son real quick. We're going to look at what we got here. Four main verses, and these are important for us to know because this is where the challenge comes. I've been talking about this morning. So let's look at John 1, 1 through 3. We've seen this before in our study of John. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. We see that, we hear it, we know it, we understand it. But now let's let's start thinking of challenges to that. Well, you all of the word could be, you know, that that God's speaking essence, that God's creative word was with him. And so him speaking as the Father, the one God, the, the one person in God, that's what John is talking about. We can argue that with John, but we can argue that with Bible also. Now, the easiest thing to do is argue that with Bible. Romans 9.5 would be another example for us. To them, so he's talking about the Jews in this context, we're yanking this out of context, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God overall, blessed forever. So in their race, in the, the Jewish ethnicity, he's talking about specifically Jewish people in Romans 9, that's where the Christ comes from, who is God overall. So we got that, that there, and then you go, well, okay, what's what he said? Well, the Christ is not the same as Jesus. You know, well, then let's go to, to Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Before we get to 16 and 17, what would you do? Jehovah's Witness comes to your door, opens up to, you say you're a Christian. They have their scripts, and they're going to say, first Colossians 1, 15, they have their scripts, don't they? It says, Colossians 1, 15 says that he is the firstborn of all creation. So they would go right here, yeah, so you've been lied to your whole life, Christian. You... Jesus isn't God. He's the firstborn of creation. And if you are caught off balance, you can be like, where do I go? Well, if you don't, don't think of John 1 or Romans 9, just go down to the next verse and the one that they pointed to. Because Colossians 1, 16 and 17 says, For by him, Jesus, all things were created. By him, he did it. In heaven and earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So it's one thing to say it's created by him. That's a big deal. It's another thing to say it's for him. If it's created for him, then who is he? He has to be God. Nothing's created for a created being. Um, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's holding together all things. Who has the power to do that? Only God. Not a superhero and not some the preeminent created being. Then Hebrews 1, 2, and 3 kind of goes off of that all things hold together. Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 are all about proving the divinity and the humanity of Christ. Massive chapters in our Bible. But in the last days, he has spoken, God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. We are not exact. We are just image bearers. We are pictures on the wall. Jesus is the real thing. Exactly. And he, here it is, upholds the universe by the word of his power. 
Jesus, not, not God the Father, Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. Think about that, upholding the universe. What happens if Jesus takes a day off? What happens to your body? What happens to the solar system? And we've all heard the stats, right? If the Earth moves like one mile off of its orbit, closer or further away, we freeze to death or die. Maybe it's even smaller than that. Maybe it's like an inch or something. It's something crazy. Why is it staying on that orbit? Why is it not moving? Why is my body staying unified and the cells aren't just floating apart, disintegrating? Who's holding that all together? Jesus. That's the work of God. The deity of Christ was the first massive disruption in the history of the church. Y'all ever heard of the Council of Nicaea? Nicene Creed, A.D. 35. So if you don't know what those councils were, it, th these are important markers in church history because the church forms doctrine when error comes up. So nobody thought to have to think or defend Jesus' deity until somebody named Arius, who was from England, uh, comes and says, Jesus isn't God. He comes from God. He emanates from God. And people start believing him, and he's a great speaker. So he's getting a, a tour going all over the Roman Empire at the time, and people are believing him. And so now the Orthodox people in the church are like, we got to deal with this guy. And the leader of that is a guy named Athanasius. I never heard of him. Uh, you might, unless you're driven by a Catholic church or an Anglican church, St. Athanasius. They take all the saints, like from like 1100 backwards. <laughs> Most of them are ours. Uh, they just take them. But Athanasius goes toe-to-toe -to -toe with him, and that's where we get the Athanasian Creed about the Trinity. It's a huge, huge concept. And, and, and it gets, and here's what it splits over. I'm going to quiz you, Millie. It's an English term. <laughs> it's between these two words. They sound almost the same. Homoousios or homoiousios. What's the difference between O and oi? What's that called? It's called a, a diphthong, right? In English. Yes. There you go, English teacher. I was coming for you. <laughs> the church is about to split. You don't teach phonics. <laughs> I hook it on phonics working for me. Uh, the diphthong of oi and o. That's what the church was fighting over. Is Jesus of similar substance or the same? Homo, same. Homoi, similar. I mean, that's that's one letter difference in that word. But if, but if you but if you get that letter wrong, you got different religions going. And that's what the church was fighting over. And 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 it got settled then, canon law. But it's still we still have to fight those today. It's the whole Gospel of John. It's about we've been talking about that this morning. Uh, so that's that's deity of Christ in a nutshell. Then we go to the deity of the Holy Spirit. We've got to prove that he is God. God's Trinity. All three of them got to be. This is, he's the most neglected. Do you, do you feel like that? He's the most neglected? Why is he most neglected, you think? Depends on what religion you're talking about. Depends on what religion you're talking about. Pentecostal church, he's really big. Oh, he's a big deal. He's distortedly big, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then, I think he's neglected in our circles because we're rejecting that. We're like, we're not crazy like them. So we just never talk about the Holy Spirit. Let's just like never. That's wrong. He's God. Or it's because he's um, just plain old ignorance. It's just not, he's not as prominent in the scriptures to just the average reading as Christ is or the Father is. He's everywhere, though, if we're paying attention. But to the, just the average reading, it's just not as prominent. But he is God. Now, he's often, thanks to George Lucas and Star Wars, sorry, Greg, uh, 
He's most often characterized as an impersonal force, right? That, that the Holy Spirit's just like this energy in the universe, and if you can just tap your plug in, then baby, you'll be electric. Be doing stuff, you'll be on fire. The Holy Spirit's there, and he's with you, and just tap in. But it's not even a he, it's an it. It's, it's just this it, for, that just exists, kind of like the Star Wars thing. It's just out there. You got to figure out how to connect into it. But we got to first solve that problem. It's not an it, it's a he. And John 14 is the perfect place for that. 16 and 17 and 26. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. That's him, whom the world cannot receive. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So he's not impersonal, he's personal. He's not an it, he's a he, just like the Father and the Son. So we have that. Now that we've proven that he's personal and male, we got to prove that he is God and not just some heavenly Jiminy Cricket. Because that's the other way that it gets pictured as. Like, I'm just going to be your little conscience and like, be good, man. Just a little helper. When we say helper, we, we, we make that a diminutive. But that's a, a massive title in the scriptures. How are we going to do that? Acts 5. 3 through 4. You're familiar with the story, Ananias and Sapphira, right? So what do they do? Their sin is not... You didn't give us all the money you had to the church. It was you said, I gave all the money that I sold the land for. It was the lie, not the gift, not the number. It was, this is all we got. They, they lied. And so then Peter addresses it like this. Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? And that's the other thing we don't notice about the story. Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. You lied to him, not me. You're talking to Peter, but you're lying to the Holy Spirit. And keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? You could have just kept it, man. And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? You could have done what you wanted with it. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. So he says, you lie to the Holy Spirit and you lie to God. So we see the equating there. Holy Spirit is God. Another one, Psalm 139. Often the Holy Spirit deity claims and the things about the Holy Spirit, they're always lying under our noses. These are popular passages that we're looking at. John 14, Acts 5, and then now Psalm 139, where David, his, his whole, like, you, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where, else shall, I, where shall I flee from your presence? Your presence and your spirit, same thing. I can't get anywhere because God is omnipresent and your spirit therefore is omnipresent he has a characteristic of god so he must be god the holy spirit wants to lie under our noses right there so now we get to the trinity we've proved all three are each individually god but all together this is a complex concept for the finite mind we can understand some but not all but we just need to assert it as fact now illustrations have you ever heard of an illustration of the holy spirit Full disclosure, this is a trap if you answer this. What illustrations have you heard of the Holy Spirit? This is a trap. I'm telling you right out front. It's modalism, Pastor. It's modalism. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's go through some bad illustrations. He's quoting a good Lutheran satire video. Uh, they actually showed us that in seminary. <laughs> of all places. 
You too. Thanks. Uh, so you've heard the egg, right? You've got the yolk, the white, and the, uh, and the, uh, the shell. But you know what that is? That's partialism. Because the shell's not the whole egg, the white's not the whole egg, and the yolk's not the whole egg. So you have to have all three to make up one egg. That's not true, because the Holy Spirit's all God. He's not part of God, and Jesus is not part of God. They're all God. So what about water? You got gas, liquid, and solid. What's, what's that? Modalism, Patrick. Yeah, so modalism is an old heresy that still exists today. T.D. Jakes is a modalist over there in Potter's house by DBU. That God takes the form he needs to fit the time that it needs it. So when he needs to be the Holy Spirit, he'll take that form. When he needs to be the Son, he'll take that form on the cross. When he needs to be the Father. So he's making God a shapeshifter. That that's what modalism is. What about the clover? The three leaves? That's partialism, right? Because one leaf is not the whole plant. That's just part of it. You need all three of them, otherwise you don't have a whole thing. So that's partialism again. What about uh, the, the man? He's a father, a husband, and an employee. Modalism. He's a father, he needs to be a father. He's an employee, he needs to be an employee. He's shape-shifting. Like, I'm, I'm this when I'm here, I'm that when I'm there, and I'm this when I'm here. And then, what about the sun? This one is the big one. You got the, you got the star itself, you got the light, and you got the heat. One, two of those things are not like the other, right? The light and the heat come off the sun. They are not the sun. They emanate from it. That's Arianism. That was the Council of Nicaea's big problem. Because Arius was saying, the sun and the spirit, they just kind of come from God. They come out of God. But they're not God. They're better than us. But they just come out of God. See, that's Arianism. So because the sun, the, the star itself is not the heat. It comes from, the heat comes from it. So it's not then I had this one sprung on me one time when I was teaching it to high school kids. They said, what about three-in-one shampoo? <laughs> so body wash, conditioner, and shampoo. And that one caught me for a loop, and I was like, maybe that's the right one. Maybe that is the real illustration of the Holy, of the Holy Trinity. But then we think about it, you're like, no. Because if I had the ability and the chemical know-how, I could pull out the shampoo, I could pull out the body wash, and I could pull out the conditioner. And it's all just one thing. Can we just say that? It's all just one thing. You can't mix them all up. It's a marketing campaign. It's just one kind of soap. But if it would be, those, those little nuclei and protons and whatever, you could pull them all apart, and it would just be partialism all over again. That it's not, that, that shampoo is not all of it. The conditioner is not the whole thing. It's just part of it. It's a piece of it. So, let's look at references all together, because no illustration is helpful. And that's unsatisfying, especially when we're trying to teach the kids we want to just like, let's make it explainable. But that's part of our Christian faith and heritage is just to go, it's just not. It is what it is. He is what he is. And so we let it be that. And if it's confusing, we just tell our children, it is. You're right. One plus one plus one should equal three, but it equals one when it comes to the Trinity. And everywhere else, it equals three. But not here. We let it be. And we can point to passages in the scripture where this happens. Really awesome one is Matthew 3, 16 and 17, Jesus being baptized. Familiar with this story? Jesus being baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. You have the Son standing incarnate in the water, the Spirit of God visible as a dove, and the 
Father speaking from heaven. All three in one scene. That's a big deal. It's a big passage of scripture for us to see. And they're all agreeing about that moment. Matthew 28, 19, we all know that one. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name of the Father, Son. It's one name. Three persons, one name, one God. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, these are a little more obscure. Where Paul's closing up that letter, he says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, we would see the Father there distinguished because we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The only one left is the Father. Right there, all three. And then in 1 Peter 1, 2, another obscure one, but still important. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. So there they are again, all three together, serving in different roles, but all three God. Now here's the question. Do we call deniers of the Trinity heretics? We got a firm yes. Yes, we got yeses everywhere. Yeses all around. We should. Council of Nicaea did. And it's not because we hate those people. It's because those people are in danger. Their souls are in danger. Because what they are doing is saying, God is not who he says he is. <clears throat> if God says, if God said, I am a, a green, three-foot-tall piece of asparagus, then we would have to affirm that. I mean, but this is what God has said he is. He says, I am this trinity. Creatures don't get to define the creator. So do you know of all the groups that deny the Trinity? Quakers, Unitarians, Oneness Pentecostals, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, the list goes on and on and on, that deny the Trinity. And so we deny the Trinity, then, then you have struck at the vitals of the Christian faith, that you, that you have killed that faith. We lose the essence of God if we lose the Trinity. Here's some things that we lose. God is not Trinity, then God needs us. Why? Who's worshiping him? Who's praising him? Who knows who he is? No one. Nothing. The God of Islam needs worshipers because he had nothing. He's just one. He needs people. Otherwise, his glory is, is wasted, has nothing. But the Trinity has a self-affirming glory in the three persons. If God is not Trinity, then he is not love. How come? There's no one else there to love. And that's one of our that's one of the biggest ones that I use just on just the average evangelical, because we all know 1 John 4, 16, God is love. But he can't be if he's not Trinity. Because at some point he wasn't love because there was no one else or nothing else to love until he creates. And if he's been eternal, then there was he was eternally deficient in some way. And that's the last thing, is that God is insufficient if he's not Trinity. He's lacking something. And then that's struck at who God really is. He's insufficient. He needs something. He wasn't complete until creation. And then that's not a God you can say. That's not a God who is God. So now, wrapping us up, our conclusion. Should we pray to all three members of the Trinity? All three are God. So yes. Now we follow Jesus' pattern, right? We pray, you know, our Father who is in heaven. But it's not wrong to pray to the Holy Spirit, because if it is wrong, then he must not be God. 
and therefore he is God. We generally order our prayers according to Jesus' pattern, but we, it's not wrong to pray to Jesus because he is God, or to the Holy Spirit. We conclude our prayers typically in the name of your Son because that's what Jesus told us to do. Up until now you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Jesus told us to do that in John 14, 26. So we do those as patterns, but we pray to all three. And we pray towards their clear roles, right? The Holy Spirit, when we're praying for conversion of a friend or a family member or a stranger, the Holy Spirit convert their hearts. That's his word, right? Titus 3, 5, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, that's how we're saved. Pray towards those ends. That, that Christ is the mediator. We pray, Lord, mediate between me and the Father. God is our Father, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of all. So we pray towards those roles. That's exceedingly biblical for us to do it. And then we live in a Trinitarian way. It would make a concerted effort to think of God as Trinity. I don't know about you, but I don't normally do that. Do you, do you normally do that? I, I normally think about, I normally think in kind of a partialistic mindset. I, I think of like, well, I'm only thinking of Jesus now. I'm only thinking of the Father now. I'm only thinking of the Spirit. It's a discipline to force yourself because it's just not logical according to human logic. All three at the same time, always, but that's, that's what we are. We're Christians have a triune God. So it's a discipline to kind of think that way. <coughs> and it makes us stand out from other monotheists. Right? It really does. When we stand out from Jewish people, we stand out from Muslims, that, yeah, you just have one God, but uh, ours is not the same. It's not just monotheism or theism that we're after. We're after the triune God of the Bible. So we can't lock arms with any other groups who deny the Trinity which makes us stand out. And we're okay with standing out because you know what that does? It proves that nobody needs a God. Ever thought about that? If we had everything in the scriptures that we could just nail down and explain perfectly that fit with all of our logic, what would that say about the Bible? Some guy made it up. Somebody that, that hits the same ceiling of thinking that I do made this up sometimes. Islam, that's every other world religion, it's, it's just man-made. But when we have something in here that is so uh, difficult that we can't just rationalize away, then it proves this wasn't made by man. And that's the first thing that happened when liberalism comes in. Gotta get rid of this weird stuff. Gotta get rid of the Trinity. That's, that's what happened to Harvard and Yale. Harvard and Yale come, and they are Puritan seminaries. And the first thing they got to get rid of is, God, get rid of the Trinity. This is just too weird. That's what a Unitarian church is, is one, unit, unit, unite. And we deny the Trinity. So that's what Harvard and Yale do. But if you go to the, the front gate of Harvard and look behind the tree, there's a, there's a plaque there dedicated to Christian ministers, faithful, orthodox, reformed ministers. They live the dust all these pretty buildings, but they are dead and empty because there is no real faith there and a Unitarian faith. So it makes us stand out, and it proves that it's greater than us. Well, we saw the Trinity. It didn't even take us that long. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, a lot of times I'll pray to the Holy Spirit when I don't know how to pray for something. Mm -hmm. It tells us that He's voice yeah. our prayer. Yeah, it's Romans 8. Right. He intercedes with us groaning too deep for words. That's and that. We follow that. Yeah. It's just to me because it always had to be like priests or somebody else, but it wasn't, you know, like 
mediator between you and your media. And if you really follow Catholic theology, there's actually another mediator. So you go to the priest who goes to Mary, who goes to Jesus, who goes to the Father. And so, she ascended. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's co-mediatrix <laughs> with Jesus. I mean, that's straight up. But I know that's what that's what the immaculate conception is not reception. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, Pittsburgh Steelers in the seventies. <laughs> <laughs>